Hello, welcome to Local Anesthetic, the most trusted name in local news. My name is Alex, this is Rob. Hello. And for any of you who don't know, first-time listeners, this is a podcast where Rob and I look at local news stories. Stories that are funny, that are banal, that are weird, that are all those strange dubious stories we see reported every week in our local newspapers well what have become local news websites Rob. Yeah, yeah. um and rob and i report on stories from our local area we get our respective local areas and we get listener submitted stories every week and we feature one of those at the end of the episode in our listener story of the week and if you want to email us email us in the story which you've seen which you think we uh, we should feature then you can email us at lapodcast.net at gmail.com and all the other ways of contacting us our website and everything else i will talk about at the end um and I should say, Rob, because I like to reiterate it, this is episode 147. That means we've been going for 146 episodes. So if you, if you are listening for the first time, you have got a lot of catching up to do. Absolutely. Because, Rob, I just want to make this clear to you mm. what's happening here. In the not-too-distant future, we will reach a stage where we will have enough episodes that you could spend a year listening to an episode every two days and... Only then would you go through our entire back catalogue. Jesus Christ. Every two days you could listen to one of our episodes. You'd have enough to last you for a year. We're not there yet, Rob. But we're approaching that point. Slowly. I mean, let's face it. At this point in time, we're almost at the point where... When we get to episode, what, 156, where you can listen to uh, an an episode a week for three years, which is basically what we've been doing anyway. Yeah, sorry, that point's redundant. Anyway, that's what we were about to say. Well, nothing, you just... I mean, obviously, we could go on forever coming up with these various algorithms. All the point I'm making is is that, you know, that is how many episodes we've done. It's a lot. It is a lot. Wow, I mean, to think we've... But you look depressed by that. I'm, 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 I'm impressed by that, and you're depressed by that. And I would ask you, why are you doing the podcast no, then, I'm mate? Depressed. Alex, you know this podcast is a labour of love. It always has been. But yes. I, I think when we started, neither of us would th- thought it, when we uh, thought it, that's a good word, yes, thought, that when we recorded that very first episode in three years' time, we'd still be going strong. I know. I'd just like to clarify, for you it's a labour of love, for me it's a labour of mild affection. Right. Okay. Yeah, you made that abundantly clear. <laughs> Uh, so look, Rob, what's going on with Instagram? Has anybody get... Because every week Rob posts a picture of our business card somewhere around the country at some undisclosed location and we ask people to guess where mm. it has been taken, in what local area, if you like, it has been taken. And I, I, my understanding is the last one you posted... The, the last two, actually. The last two, nobody has guessed yet. No. The last... I thought the one that you showed me, I didn't think it was particularly hard. Well, I put them. They they are. They Should we give people by, a clue on that one? And well, they, yeah, that, they go via different weeks. So the one you're talking about is week five. The week five is somewhere in London. It is. Yes. Can people guess where? I mean, I thought that was quite obvious. So maybe people think I just can't be bothered to comment. I must admit, as I put on the comment, week six is. I think quite difficult. Can I see week six? Would you like to see? You will never get it. I'll, you might be surprised, Rob. Okay. Now, what I would say is. If you look at the... They are all in the UK. They are say. Rob isn't like sort of jet-setting off to Venezuela and taking a picture there. Right, so that's that's week six. See, to me, somebody somewhere is bound to, to recognise that. Well, the thing is, if you live in a local area, that is very significant. The fact there's three spires okay. on the same building. Where is it? Whisper to me. Well, don't whisper, just mouth it. Where is it? Uh, right, 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 okay, yeah. So... 
People, we need you out there. You need to guess. The problem is they have no motivation to guess what's because there's no prize. But we keep saying that you get your name read out on the podcast Absolutely. on local anaesthetic podcast. Could there be a bigger privilege than that? I doubt it. Rob, can I get us on now with the podcast? Because sure. I want to crack on with some stories here. I am breaking rules a bit here because I know we only feature one listener story of the week. Yes. But I did have a story submitted to me by a friend who lives in Gloucester. So therefore, it doesn't constitute a listener story because this person is not just a listener. They are also a friend. That's not to say that all our listeners aren't friends. But <laughs> I, f- I feel I'm digging myself quite a big hole here. Yeah. And the- also, could you, in, the, in the future, could you please just consult me first because this is my, this is my area and you're kind of... Oh, what? oh yeah, because he's from Gloucester, I know. Yeah. Well, not just that. And also, you know... I do the list of stories, and that's the way it works. <laughs> yeah, I, I know that, Rob. Well, to be honest, it was a slow news week for me, and so this story was quite a welcome. <laughs> Fair enough. A welcome. But also, it's good. It's from the Gloucester Citizen. The Citizen? Very good, Rob. There you go. But we're not really doing that anymore, Rob. That. We're not really doing that anymore, because it's a bit racist. Alex, we do it every week. <laughs> no, no, Rob. You, that, you've just crossed... Oh, that's just the way, the way I hear it? Yeah, you've just crossed the bar there, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. Um, Although quite fitting in, in obviously, the, the week where the, uh, the Queen... Doing the Nazi salute was Oh my... Oh, oh yes, yes. I was thinking of featuring that on my general anaesthetic segment. Maybe we can do that in a future week. I mean, that is just unbelievable. Hilarious. Um, but um, it's from July the 11th, 2015, and it's by Citizen Chip. Which Citizen seems to, Chip? Which seems to now be there. Instead of, no, instead of it not listing who it's by... They now seem to have this sort of automaton that's called citizenship, or one but word. Used to, I mean, what used to be, they used to have citizen, the name of the um, the name of the the, uh, the journalist. So unless they actually, have, I really hope they have a journalist on the staff called Chip. Could and be, and it's good mate Dale. <laughs> so headline, Rob Matson pensioner bruised and humiliated in quotes after verbal attack claims. Now, my friend uh, <laughs> bruised te- and humiliated after verbal attack. You, you see one, right? Um. My friend texted me this story and he said he thought it would be right up my street, so uh, we shall see. Uh, Bruised and humiliated, Matson pensioner William Druce says bus drivers need more education on disabilities after claiming to have been verbally attacked on his journey home. Right. The 65-year-old... Sorry, the passenger has described a stagecoach driver as an absolute disgrace after he was told to get out of a seat reserved for disabled people. Nice. And the 65-year-old who suffers from cereb- cerebellar ataxia, which affects his coordination, says he needs to stick to walk but claims the driver ordered him out of the seat when four mothers with buggy- buggies got on the bus. According to the former civil servant from St Peter's Road, the bus driver said, anybody can get those when he showed him his disability pass. No. <laughs> nice. Oh, that's I, I tried to explain that I had a disability which he doesn't really need to do because he's got a disability pass yeah. but the driver was in a bad mood so I walked down to the aisle to get to, the, to another seat he said later Mr Drews got up to let another passenger out to leave but fell when the bus moved forward causing him to suffer bruising to his legs and arms he said but Mr Drews said the driver's reaction was to yell at him for getting up from his seat the driver lost the plot a young woman tried to explain to the driver what happened but they just yelled at me he said I was in terrible pain I could barely move but I was so stunned I just got off the bus I told the driver they're an absolute disgrace, and I was told, in quotes, never get on my bus again. <laughs> I like the idea that he just encounters his driver, he's like, get off. 
You're not getting on this bus, mate. Wait for the next one. Well, it's unbelievable. I mean, but are these these two events are unrelated, by the way. What do you mean? I mean, the fact that the the way he, I mean, obviously he got out the seat to let the, the person past him, and the bus pulled off. The bus driver didn't deliberately pull off, so he fell to the floor. He just fell no, to the but floor. There, but when he fell to the floor, the bus driver yelled at him for getting up from his seat. Damn right. I bet, I bet he's scratching. He's scratching off the, uh, the the fucking state as well, isn't he? A good Samaritan, Rob, saw Mr. Drews was in a bad. Literally, this is a good Samaritan. Listen to this: a good Samaritan saw Mr. Drews was in a bad way on the side of the road. Oh, right. So it's exactly... So they want the bus driver threw him off the bus. <laughs> and took him to hospital where he was treated for bruising on his legs and arms. Hmm. Mr. Drews, who cares for his 86-year-old mum, who also lives in Matson, said it showed a complete knowledge, lack of knowledge of how disabilities can affect people. I would like an apology, but I really would like to see the driver go on a course to see what it's like to be disabled. What kind of course is that? They make you sit in a wheelchair. Yeah, his wheelchair and push you around. <laughs> anyway... Um, what concerns me is the incidents involving the disabled seem to be on the rise. And I, do, I, I don't know about you, Rob, but just to be serious for a moment... You do get that feeling since this co- since the coalition and now the Tory government have been in power. There has been quite a long sustained attack on disabled people. I don't think it's disabled people. I think it's more than that. It's anyone who is vulnerable. I know that. Sort of welfare, but no, but also disabled people have yeah. suffered a lot. Yeah, and the cuts will undoubtedly affect them. But what I, I guess I'm saying is with the, when there's that general narrative, I think it almost it almost fuels this kind of behaviour. I mean, you do think that people in wheelchairs are just lazy. They could just stand up, but they just want to sit down and wheel themselves around. Exactly. Rupert Cox, Managing Director of Stagecoach West, said the firm takes complaints made regarding the quality of their bus drivers very seriously. We have investigated the matter thoroughly, he said. After sitting down with the driver, CCTV footage of the incident was studied in depth, and we are confident our driver handled the situation in line with the comprehensive training given to all our employees. So maybe that's part of the training. (laughs) Tell people they're not really disabled. Tell them they never want to see them on the bus again. Tell them they're not allowed to sit in a disabled seat. That is the training. That's fair, unless they're paraplegics. Yeah, exactly. Our local operations management team have met with the customer to hear his comments following the incident, and that's all it says. So this is unresolved. Um, My last story, just to start, you know, this in this beginning section, Rob, is from the news shopper. So we're back now to my local area, South East London. It's by Mark Chandler, who is deputy news editor. So Mark Chandler is the deputy editor of the news shopper. Is that a new role? I don't know. There might be. There, there, you might just be like. There's lots of deputy news editors. Well, mixed. I think he deserved a promotion. Maybe he got that deputy news editor job after being being prepared to brave the new cross sex cinema and in, in the interest of investigative journalism. Good point. Good point. Right, Rob. It's, this is a brilliant story. It's. I've had it a little while. It's a couple of weeks old. Thirtieth okay. June. We'll forgive that. Update: Feral killer seagull munching through Plumstead pigeon population. <laughs> right. A feral, in quotes, killer seagull has been butchering Plumstead pigeons before feasting on their dead bodies, it is claimed. Wow. Can I say that's a great sentence? I want to read it again. A feral killer seagull, because I like all the B's and P's, has been butchering Plumstead pigeons before feasting on their dead bodies, it is claimed. The alliteration is beautiful. Yes. Residents near Plumstead Common claim the violent bird has been picking off an average of four unfortunate pigeons per day. Jesus Christ. (laughs) Picking off four unfortunate pigeons per day? Quite a good episode title. Good. Ian McGrillan... Raised the alarm on... Sorry, sorry. what? Her That's name not appears to be Ein McGrillen. A, a McGrillen sounds like a McDonald's it burger. Does. Um, raised the alarm on Plumstead People Facebook page, another good alliteration there, yeah. saying, we are trying to figure out if it is just one feral seagull or if this is a group of them. Is this unusual seagull behaviour? She wrote, it killed one in Barnfield Gardens car park this morning, then flew off with it in its beak. Imagine if that dropped on your head. I don't know. I must have, I didn't realise that seagulls were carnivals. Let's get into this, Rob, exactly. 
I guess it's just nature doing its survival thing. Is it? <laughs> Can I say that's just you know that's what a wonderful use of English language that is. It's the sort of thing David Attenborough would come out with. I guess it's just nature doing its survival thing. <laughs> You're right. It's quite tense when you watch it just hanging out with the pigeons, casual as anything. Then he makes picks his mark and swoops in. Um, can I? Um, this is a stock image of a seagull killing a pigeon uh, that's been taken from a stock. I wouldn't have thought that's the kind of stock image people would need. <laughs> but you know, I love the fact that that's a record somewhere. That's brilliant. Yeah. Um, and other neighbours claim the bloodthirsty bird has a vocarious appetite and has been menacing the bird population for several years, once munching through ten in one night. How do they know? How do they know this? Are you saying, Rob, that uh, you and me being woodland murder detectives, do we need to bring our expertise in that field to this? Because we I could find so. we could find out if this was what, one serial killer pigeon. How? Unless that, unless uh, some. Very tra- tracking it with binoculars. Yeah, sad individuals been literally going around following his trail of destruction. I mean, because uh, I think it's fair to say that this is, you know, this is now a serial killer. Um, I already made that joke a minute ago. Rob. Okay. Well, either way, <laughs> either way, I thought it was so good. We need to re-emphasize that. Shouldn't um, it be serial killer? Because it's a seagull. Serial yeah, killer. You, you, you could say that. I mean, I, I wouldn't say that. But you hang could on, sea feral killer. Because they're saying it's feral. See feral, Kirill. No, it's not working. No. Other neighbours claim the bloodthirsty bird, yeah, munching through ten in one night. Kirsty Wilson wrote, it's been, it was doing it a couple of weeks back, killed about ten in one night. For three to five days every morning when I'd leave work, I'd, at five I'd see him there. Then when I returned, he'd still be there, just munching away at the pigeons. I've never seen such a sight before. He's a psychopath. I mean, that is quite graphic, I must admit. Emma Ledgerwood chimed in. It's been doing it for over two years and kills at least four pigeons a day. How does she... You know, she doesn't know this. She can't know <laughs> this. Because they see it, Rob. Four pigeons every day. Yeah. It's awful to watch for the pigeons' sake, but I suppose it's all nature's ways of keeping the population down. These people <laughs> are stupid, Rob, if you don't understand. I need to work this out. So apparently that seagull is killing 1,460 pigeons a year. It's doing Literally, us a favour. We could just put that seagull in Trafalgar Square. Yeah. Within about two years, every pigeon would be dead. We could put it in uh, <coughs> Trafalgar Square. Mm. Yes, we could definitely put it in <coughs> Trafalgar Square. Anyway. Um, but Gordon Guthrie had little sympathy for the pigeons. He wrote, seagulls are carnivores. What is worse when you're at the seaside and they pinch the kiddies ice cream or stalk you for chips? Again, neither of those, I mean, traditionally, neither of those should contain any meat. Uh, I just want to read that again. Seagulls are carnivores, but what's worse is when you're at seaside and they pinch the kiddies ice cream or stalk you for chips. Yeah. (laughs) Random, but yeah, again. What a great phrase. (laughs) Stalk you for chips. This is not the first time a killer seagull has made the headlines. Or you could say, sorry, you could say seagulling for chips. Yes, yes. Because it's not stalk. Yeah, 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 that's very good. Uh, he wrote, um, uh, sorry, last October a Hyde Park bird was accused of drowning pigeons in the serpentine before devouring sorry. them. Oh, for God's sake. Right, so somebody's now claiming... What is a Hyde Park bird? Because <laughs> the same could be anything. I think it's, it's a better class of bird, basically. Was accused of drowning pigeons, uh, that was a swan, I reckon, before, in the serpentine before devouring them. Can I mean, you imagine you're a tourist and you just see this bird being dragged off the, the lawn? Into the serpentine, and you just see this blood bubbling up from the water. I know, I get a different impression. I get that he's literally standing on the edge of the serpentine, literally has one foot on the, on the, on the pigeon's head and just dunks his head <laughs> in the water. <laughs> you had enough yet? And puts it back under again. That's got to be a swan. It's got to be yeah, a swan. Yeah, I would have thought so. Amateur photographer Johanna van der Vosteren, 57, told Mail Online, it was one of the most violent things I've ever seen. After it happened, I felt I had witnessed... Can I Hang s- on, Rob. Sorry. After it happened, I felt I'd witnessed a murder. 
Well, you had. <laughs> yeah. Well, not murder, though, because it's nature, Rob, doing its thing. Yeah, possibly. Um, but uh, I, don't understand what I don't understand about that is, why would you describe yourself as an, an, an amateur photographer? That can't be your profession. Good point. It could be a hobby. I've seen him hunting pigeons on two separate days. Both times he picked them off, dragged them into the lake, and drowned them. I don't think a seagull has got that much intelligence. No, that, to, was to, to that was to hide park, but that was to hide park. Bird. Oh, I see. Right, okay. But either way, what? No, it had. It, it, it could. What you're arguing that it's impossible for a seagull, one seagull, to be killing over one thousand pigeons a year <laughs> yeah. in a premeditated fashion. For it to be this systematic. <laughs> Comments. Rip Ripnituk says, "Oh dear, where to start? Nature each nature shock. A redefinition of homicidal, which means to kill a human. Not sure when pigeons when pigeons got upgraded. A silly story." Fact. Concerned Iris said, "Why do you think Alfred Hitchcock used them in the birds? They're not scared to dive bomb people too. Just Google the attacks in Devon. Yeah, they that's dive true. bomb for food. That's why the Carling advert on the telly is funny. We'll get our revenge on them." <laughs> Bit sinister towards the end. Uh, Penance Pirate said, um, "This is this I think is the point that." You def well. We missed when we read the story. It's an important one, right? Penzance Pirate says all seagulls are feral because it keeps describing it as a feral That's seagull. That's a good point. Then I don't think all- there's, a, there's any domesticated <laughs> seagulls out there. Maybe have you met my pet seagull? <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't it be an idea to check these things before going to print? I suppose the seagull in the Hastings direct ads could be classified as domesticated, though. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, what do you make of that, then, Rob? I mean, fascinating story. <laughs> um, uh, I, I feel that maybe... Um, why doesn't have... somebody just shoot it? If, if you, There's always residents that that concern. Why doesn't somebody just get an air gun and shoot the fucker? Yeah, that's a very fair point. And also, why is there so many residents just sitting there watching <laughs> the seagull pick off pigeons? I mean, it must be a fucking boring day for them. Uh, yeah, Rob, in that area of the world, it's, uh, there's not much to do. No. <laughs> Okay, Rob, you got a story for us? Yeah, this is uh, a bit of an old story um, because it's the return of uh, a certain Mr. Frank Tunbridge, big cat expert. Who we only featured last week. Yeah. Now this, let me recap for the, for the listener what I remember. You featured a story. Oh, no. Is this last week or going back a week? No, it is last week. Well, it's this been the last two weeks. Oh, it's actually. last two weeks. Yeah. So originally we had a story about a man who on a National Trust property... Yeah. Th- this is going to be confusing, listeners, <laughs> I warn you. <laughs> it's tenuous. The original story was about a man in a National Trust property who for some reason was up a tree, who for some reason was climbing along a branch of a tree yeah. and fell into a lake That's right. where he came face to face with a big fish. A massive pike, yeah. A massive pike. <laughs> For some reason, that story then, in the same article, it decided to deviate and start talking about a deer that was killed in a national property some years before in a crime, in in some sort of woodland murder that had never been solved. Animal on animal, I should point out, it was thought. And it started rambling off around that and it had nothing to do with the original story. You went off and investigated that story and found out that, in fact, a deer had died in very mysterious circumstances and it was thought that a big cat had done it. Even though, in the story... It said that the deer was found with a great big bullet hole in its head. It had head. been shot a point blank range. It had been shot a point blank range. So where the big cat idea came from, we didn't know. But what did come out of this story was this extraordinary man called Frank Tunbridge, who is a yeah. big cat hunter or explorer or... Expert. Big expert. cat expert. We're not, we're not alluding to and, the fact and, that he's and been I, killing them. And I did ask you to go and find out more about him. So 
This is another story involving the infamous Frank Tunbridge. It's from the uh, the, the website The Stroud Life. Now, this is new and on the me. I, I've never heard of this one before. So, But the story goes back to December the 19th, 2013, and it's by Ben Faulkner. Could this be proof for big cats in Gloucestershire? No. Now, there's a picture, by the way, and I'll, I'll, I'm going to wait to the end to show you the picture <laughs> because it's brilliant. Okay. <laughs> Could this be another step on the Big Crack Tracker's quest to prove their existence in Gloucestershire? Can I, can I just point out, Rob? Sorry, I'm sorry to interrupt. But can I just point out that for any keen listeners and sort of long-time followers of this podcast, you will know that we did feature stories about big cats in the past because yeah. this area where I live is very famous for having a, a potential big cat, yeah. which I believe I came face-to-face with once, as, as if you remember. Yes, yes, I remember saying that. That's right, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know... Am I a believer in big cats? Yes, I think I am. Anyway, I mean, let's... I've seen some fat pussies, but um, you know, big cats and nothing altogether. <laughs> right. What are you laughing at? <laughs> Frank Tunbridge believes the footage he has, he has captured shows a large, big cat prowling a field at night. In my mind, there's nothing else it could be, said Mr Tunbridge, who has received 64 reports of big cats in Gloucestershire in 2013. 64. 64. That's, that's over one a week. Exactly. <laughs> He's just sitting in his office, phone ring once a week. I think I've seen a big cat. Right, writes it down. That's his job. <laughs> doesn't investigate it, just writes it down. That is the investigation, Rob. I put the camera up at the site. Uh, about four to six residents said they'd seen it. Uh, it took about a week to get it. I know the footage is short, but it's long in the body, and the size of it suggests it is a cat. What, a big cat, though, or just a cat? It just says a cat. Right. Uh, he placed the camera there after it was spotted prowling through fields in Winchcombe in April 2012. Residents who tried to get close were snarled at near Mountview Drive. Mount View Drive. Yeah. It's evocative, that name. I like it. A black figure appears near the, the bottom left-hand corner of the screen near the start of the footage. Mr. Have you got the footage or have you got a photo? I've got a photo. I don't know if I should... I'm not sure. I don't know if I saw the footage, actually. Hmm. Maybe I'll try and get the footage. Maybe I'll try and... Update us with the footage. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, uh, Mr. Tumbridge has daytime footage of what he believed to be a fox taken by the same camera to show the area in context. Uh, resident Keith Baker said... He saw it at least 10 times and the giant paw prints dotted the field. Mother of three, Carrie Short says, there is no way it's domestic cat, believing it to be a panther. <laughs> a jaguar, maybe. Could be, could be. Uh, Mr. Podme... Uh, a Mr. mountain lion. I'd love that if it was. Mountain lion near Mount View Drive. Mount, Mount, yeah. Mount View. It just I, got confused. Exactly, it saw the road name got, and it's looking for the mountains. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Tunbridge from Podsme, Gloucester, has cameras set up all over the county at, at sighting hotspots. Is he allowed to do that? Are you allowed of the member of the public to start surveying the... the could I just set up cameras around around this, around this the high street? I just claim that you'd have a report that a big, big cat was there. Yeah, I don't think I'm allowed to do that, am I? Uh, is, is that camera in that house? Oh, yeah, but there's a big cat there. Yeah. I'm sure of it. I think it's an encroachment on civil liberties going on here. Possibly. He knows that short of, short of a carcass or live specimen being brought, uh, conclusive video footage will, be, will go a long way to convince the public that they exist. Um... Teaching assistant, again, I don't know why she's been involved. Uh, assistant, cor- cor- oh, I couldn't say this before. Corny Memory, I can't believe that's right. Well, C- show me this name. Her name's Corny Memory. <laughs> it's C- Corny Memory. <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? Where? Corin Memory. What? Corin- what? They must have changed their surname. You No, there's no genuine surname of Memory. Mr. Memory. Corin Memory. Maybe she's going to a very corny cabaret act. <laughs> What did you corny from? Corny. Corny. I thought Corinne. Okay. Uh, Use his camera to get... um, Sorry, use his camera to get film of what happened... uh, What appeared to be a big cat 
bounding around the field near her home, revealed almost two years ago. Um, however, Professor S- Stephen Harris of the School of Biological Sciences Mammal Research Unit at Bristol <laughs> University says it was more likely to be a large domestic cat. Uh, University of Warwickshire testified... Well, what point, at what point does a large domesticated cat become a big cat? Are we arguing over... It's how close it is to the camera. Right, yeah. yeah. That's a good point, <laughs> <laughs> University of Warwickshire tests to find big cat DNA on deer carcasses to serve near... Uh, Woodchester Park in Dursley only found traces of fox and deer almost two years ago. Was that, that, was that the story you read out last week? Right. last week. I accept this footage is not conclusive, but what else could it be? All the evidence to me points it to being points to it being a big cat. Do you want to see this evidence? Like I said, it's only it's not it's not the footage. It's just a, a snapshot. You ready for this? It's in black and white. I have to warn you. Of course. Okay. So here it is. Right. Right. Rob has shown me. Sorry, sorry, listeners. Um, sorry for my rather stunned silence. Describe well, I am feeling tired at the moment, Rob, but um, I can see a picture of, in black and white at night, some grass. What, what, what and appears a tr- to be a and tree a tr- in the background? And a tree with some branches in the foreground and some lights in the distance. Um, now, I had to look at this twice. I think that it, presumably the thing he's referencing is a small little black blob in the left-hand corner no, of the No, I screen. don't think it is. I think down at the front, so where the where the, the light is intensified around the bush at the front, yes. can you see there's kind of what looks like a tail? No, that's just twig, Rob. Oh. He's saying that's the big... I, I hate to tell you, Rob, you know what he's saying is the big cat? Yeah. That. Because he said it's in the left-hand corner of the screen. Zoom back out. I literally can't see anything. <laughs> what the fuck is that? You're this right, little thing with eyes there, right? Which could be a, a very small little black cat. I mean, I mean, we're literally talking about a, a shadow. Uh, that, uh, Rob, <laughs> that is his conclusive evidence of a big cat. Okay, a few comments, of course, because it has to be comments. Uh, Jamie Badger says that this sighting is very similar to the one that I saw a few years back of the Loch Ness monster. Was that figure in the background, Elvis? I think you may be mocking the quality of the footage. Yes. Yeah. Um, Douglas No says, I congratulate Mr. Tunbridge on this method of keeping this story alive and the way you get the citizens to go along with it. Bravo. <laughs> yeah, well, he needs an income. Yeah, absolutely. Um, WSJD2003 says, that's 40 seconds of my life I'm never getting back. Uh, well, for the listeners, it's a hell of a lot longer of their time than ever getting back, Rob. Probably about 10 minutes. Fair enough. Uh, Gloucester Lab 34 says, I think this is a fox and not and not this so-called big cat. And um, uh, Apogen says, uh, quoting the article, could, could this be the proof of big cats in Gloucestershire? No. I just want to chime in here, Rob, and say something serious to you. I do believe in that there are big cats in the UK. Yeah, you, I, I, do I you as well? I believe that, yeah. All right, why do you believe it? Well, then, why are we mocking this man? Then? Because I think that, given the fact that these these creatures used to roam all parts of the world at some stage or another in different forms, I think it's more than possible they do still exist out there. Well, wild. I think they exist here for a different reason. I think that's purely because we know that there have been some people who have owned these animals, who've imported yeah, them that's in, and who've let them free. So it only requires a couple of those to mate and whatever, and then you've got... The, you've got a family. Yeah, yeah, and no, I agree with that. Uh, however, I do think Mr. Frank Tunbridge may still be trying to generate uh, a lot of income. Yeah, good point. One to think about. Okay, Rob, I've got another story for us. I am, I am going to be doing my general anaesthetic segment, Rob. Okay. Because 
listeners will know I didn't feature it last week. It is coming back this week. But before I do that, Rob, later, I do need to tell you this story. From the new shopper, because it's a great story. Right. Uh, it's by Hattie Collier. It's from, a, again, about a couple of weeks ago, a week and a half ago, 6th of July. I've been holding on to this one, because I had so many stories, good stories to read out last week, I couldn't cover it. Fair enough. This is the headline. Morning, as in grieving. Yep, yep. Morning travellers climbed on cars and urinated in the street in Shooters Hill Brawl. <laughs> Lovely. Mourners clambered on top of cars and urinated in the street in a brawl involving up to 60 travellers attending a wake in Shooters Hill, witnesses say. Jesus. <laughs> so, just to be clear, this is a wake. That's Residents it. expressed their shock after seeing a mountain of police trying to control the violence outside the Red Lion pub on Shooters Hill at around 10.40pm on Thursday. Wow. Three men were arrested following the brawl, one of whom attended the South London Hospital where he was treated for a head injury. Witnesses saw a large group of travellers involved in the fighting and they, who were attending a wake and had been swigging from beer cans in the street. <laughs> what kind of a wake is this? Maddie Mansfield... A fun one is what it is. Yeah, it is a fun one. <laughs> Maddie Mansfield, who lives on Shooters Hill and posted pictures of the scene on Twitter, told New Shopper more than 100 police officers turned up after a fight broke out. The 19-year-old said it was very, very noisy. There was a huge fist fight involving loads of people. Oh, Definitely 60-plus at one point. We started to see some pictures of the police. How does a fight break out a wake? That's a lot of police. That's a fucking shitload of police. And that's the, the, the group travels of the Jesus. Wake. It's a lot. Again, how can you get so angry at a wake that a, that a fight breaks out? Well, it's an emotional time, Rob. You're right, you're uh, right. A neighbour who asked not to be named and whose house and van were damaged during the violence said people were petrified. I've never seen anything like it. They were standing on the roof of my neighbour's car. He had thousands of pounds worth of damage done. They were urinating in the street and doing number twos as well. <laughs> <laughs> so can I just say, why in the headline would you say urinating in the street when they've actually also been defecating? I love wouldn't, you, wouldn't you run with the headline defecating in the street? Yeah, I think so. I think that gives them a much more Shit, graphic. Yeah, shitting and pissing in the street. I like the idea that they, they smash the sunroof and just shat through, <laughs> shat through the open sunroof onto his gay stick. <laughs> Not a euphemism. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was hosing them... Right, so Rob, listen to this quote. They were urinating in the street and doing number twos as well. I was hosing them down from my garden the next day. Now, I'm not sure if she means to... Tra- <laughs> I'm not sure if she means to travellers or the shit and piss. Yeah, good point. Uh, Amanda Barry, also Shooters Hill, said her husband had earlier overheard travellers who were sat outside the Red Lion pub say that they were celebrating a wake. She told New Shopper it started to get quite noisy outside at about nine o'clock. The neighbours and I came out to see what was going on and they were everywhere. Mrs. Barry said the nearby restaurant, the Jasmine, was forced to close early around 6pm after a group of travellers became angry when they, were, when they were refused use of the toilet. So they all went in and said, can we use your, your toilet? They said no, so they you know, pissed. They outside anyway. <laughs> yeah. The 37-year-old mum of four they began to urinate in the street outside the restaurant and glasses were being thrown into the restaurant garden. Jesus. Miss, Mrs. Barry said around 30 to 40 travellers' caravans arrived on the field opposite her house over the weekend... Is a picture of a hell of a lot of caravans. Yeah, that is a lot of caravans. Um, the caravans have since been photographed on Plumstead Common. New shoppers contacted Greenwich Council, Greenwich Council for comment regarding the travellers. Simon McDonough, 33, a Tottenham car salesman, and David Ward, 38, unemployed from Enfield, have both been charged with a fray and appeared at custody at court on July 4th. A third man who was arrested has been released without charge. Can I make a comment? Yeah, before you're here, Rob. No, yeah, good point. Um, I thought travellers, by the very nature didn't have jobs right is that very narrow-minded to think why are you mentioning that because they said that there's a a, a car salesman from tottenham 
Well, yeah, but he might have just been a, a non-traveller who attended the wake who also got involved in the violence. Yeah, good point, good point. But talking about travellers, Rob, um, cue the comments from the very understanding and compassionate people of, uh, of the new shopper Oh, brilliant. Right, OK, let me, free, let, me, let me get comfortable. Free to do says, total scum. Yep. Jippo Joe says, when you've got to go, you've got to go and let the chips fall where they may, boy. Uh, Absolutely. Paul of the Smith clan says, whose wake was it? Sounds like a Mr. Good one. <laughs> Moggy80 says, interesting how some people mourn the loss of their loved ones. Yeah. <laughs> Russ PB1967 says, told you my post would be removed. Uh, he's obviously had a removed post. Right. But uh, obviously this one got through the censors. Travellers are the lowest of the lowest scum and should be treated as the criminals they are and not as poor and defenceless ethnic minority. Euthanise them. Can we have the title lowest of the lowest scum? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, but it's, I don't think that's good enough, Rob. No, My View 6 says, wake or not wake, wake or no wake, why are these pieces of filth allowed to set up camp on Shooter's Hill? There should be a mass bonfire with their van stuck in the middle of it. Dirty scum. I despair of what's happening to society, because we've been doing this podcast since the coalition government and, and now the Tory government came to power, and there is so much more intolerance, can I just say, just generally. Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying we should tolerate people pissing and urinating the street. I'm not saying that at all. But these are racist comments, Rob, aren't they? Yeah. And what's worse is the new shopper hasn't decided not to moderate them. Yeah. Cockney Geezer says, round them up, put them in a container and drop it in the ocean. Job done. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's a strong comment. Okay, Rob, it's time for my general anaesthetic segment here great general anaesthetic for anybody who doesn't know because the podcast is called local anaesthetic covering local news general anaesthetic is where i cover a general news story just like covering general events often political can i just ask over the last few weeks they've been quite um depressing yes well, i can't help that <laughs> and and it, it's getting i mean the stories that I've, I've seen in the news seem to be going or becoming increasingly depressing, especially in, re- in relation to the Labour Party. Oh, yeah, this isn't about the Labour Party. Oh, you will be that. familiar with this story. Oddly, The Guardian have actually picked this up today. But even though this is a... This is a bit confusing. Even though this is a general anaesthetic story, I haven't taken it from a national newspaper. It's actually come from the new shopper who actually really? covered it. Oh, wow. Uh, but The Guardian picked it up today. You, you will know about this already, Rob. You will have to know about it if you've been, if you've been alive, I would hope, or reading any news. Right. But it's still worth covering because it is great. It's from Saturday the 18th of July. It's by Jess Bell, who I believe is a new journalist mm. from the new shopper. And the headline, Doctors Tell Health Minister, hashtag I'm in work, Jeremy, with weekend working selfie. Have you heard of this? No. You have not heard of this. No. So The Guardian picked it up today. Well, it's a great story. Do, do you even know why they would have started this, Rob? Well, I'm assuming it's obviously the changes to legislation that these the 24 hours, seven days a week uh, uh, GP service. It's not just about GPs, it's about consultants. Jeremy Hunt has been on the attack. I don't know if you're aware of this. Telling, basically ending up telling people that, you know, we need a 24, we need a 24 hour weekend working culture as well. Uh, we, need, we need more consultants because he's been saying that statistics show that more people die who are, who are admitted on weekends, etc., etc. We need yeah. to be 24 hour. And look, consultants, we really, I really need your help with this. But if you're not going to opt into this, well, you're going to be forced to do it. Right. So, this, so basically all the consultants basically said that we are already working, you fucking idiot. Well done, Rob. <laughs> Health Minister Jeremy Hunt is facing a backlash over claims there is a Monday to Friday culture, in quotes, in the NHS. Alex, I- I'm sorry, I'm going to have to say this because it's really hurt my brain not to. It just seems that the, the toy cabinet are just made up of complete cunts. There's <laughs> not a single one who isn't. 
I'm trying to think. Uh... The only one who I had a, a, a shred of respect for was William Hague, and he's gone. And he turned out at the end to, 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 to not act very well either. No. Kenneth Clark was sort of all right, in a way. But he's gone. Yeah. So, who's left? Hashtag who's left who isn't a cunt. <laughs> very good. I have to say, Rob, in all genuineness, Michael Gove seems like a really nice person. Anyway. Doctors, nurses and hospital staff have reacted to claims made earlier this week by posting pictures of themselves at work over the weekend. Mr Hunt made the comment as he outlined plans to impose seven-day working at hospitals across the country. On Twitter, the I'm in work Jeremy hashtag is still trending in the UK as medics continue to post selfies in a bid to highlight their long hours and gruelling night shifts. Neurosurgeon Mark Wilson wrote on Twitter, 24 patients seen, about to do new neurosurgery operation, straight 72 hours on call. Wow. Sebastian Nixon uploaded a photograph of himself in his green medical scrubs and wrote, sixth shift this week in the Derriford, uh, in the Derriford uh, hospital. Damn these lazy doctors and their extravagant weekends. One called Dr. Scott from Glasgow in Scotland wrote, just seen the anaesthetic orthodontist ICU obstetric and surgical consultants in on Saturday at 8am. Where were you, Jeremy Hunt? At Ironwork Jeremy. And you can, just to give you an example of the thought of tweet, so this is one. Sixth day of my 12 days in a row working hard in the NHS, Mr. Hunt. Uh, 4.15am and in A&E working. Just how I want to spend my Saturday morning. Can you imagine your Jeremy Hunt getting these? Because he did actually respond. Can I just point out, by the way, there are small times when I absolutely love Twitter. Yeah, and this is one of them. Uh, this is one of them. The other one was when, um, you know the book, uh, Fifty Shades of Grey, but written by E.L. James. Yeah. She, I'm, I'm not sure who on earth thought it was a good idea, but basically she, you, uh, did you hear about this? It's about two weeks ago. Her public, uh, her publishers decided that she should do a Q&A on Twitter. Oh. I mean, literally within about 10 minutes, it just turned what, what to a kind complete of, shit fest. What kind of thing? Well, obviously people, it started off, quite like, you know, people just mocking and just saying things like, um, you know, asking to like spurious questions, like, you know, where can I buy a kite, that kind of thing. And then it was the people saying, um, uh, how do you defend a book that obviously promotes rape and uh, um, obviously demeans women, that kind of thing. And then all hell broke loose. And what was what was great, apparently... When you say all hell broke loose, in what way? Like, just being it was very just, aggressive? Uh, being very aggressive, being very direct. and well, just I don't understand why person. anybody in PR think, if you're going to do Twitter, then you have to have some way of moderating it because you cannot just let people tweet in what they want because people will say... People will just take the piss. Yeah. And that, literally, I think that they had to abandon it. It got that bad. <laughs> and literally, within the, like, in the space about 10, <laughs> 15 minutes. But what was worse is apparently E.L. James was, was literally blocking accounts as fast as she possibly could because the amount of abuse that she was getting. It was hilarious. Well, since being bombarded with selfies from angry workers, Mr. Hunt has tweeted... To doctors on shift today, thanks for hard work. Now we need to reflect that professionalism with modern contract to make NHS safer. And the Twitter storm, Mr. Hunt, also, during the Twitter storm, Mr. Hunt also tweeted a picture of himself with staff from the brain surgery unit, which is quite fitting because I think he could do with some brain surgery. Yeah, had, he, had he just been in there? And said, thanks for making me welcome. <laughs> and he's given the lobotomy he clearly yeah. needs. The British Medical Association, the BMA, accused Mr. Hunt of launching a wholesale attack on doctors by threatening to enforce new seven-day contracts if they did not agree to work more weekends. The doctors' union said that the ultimatum was a blatant attempt by the government to distract from its refusal to invest properly in emergency care. Because the big point around this, Rob, that you need to get your head around is that what all these consultants and people in the NHS are saying is that the problem isn't that we don't have doctors and consultants working weekends. No. It's that all the ancillary services 
aren't don't operate we operate weekends. So if I'm a consultant and I see you on a weekend, there's nobody to do the blood analysis until Monday. Yeah. So there's no point trying to say to doctors, consultants, you've got to work weekends unless you're going to make sure you support all the other services that are needed to support that infrastructure. Do and you I, see? I think it's fair to say that the reason these services don't operate is because they physically can't because they don't have the funding to do so. Yeah, exactly. Now, Rob, this story was picked up by The Guardian today and I just want to read out one thing from the article just on this. Mm. The Health Secretary quoted the Journal of the Royal Society of Medicine's 2012 paper asserting that 15%, and it's actually 16%, but never mind, mm-hmm. of patients who die enter the hospital at weekend. What he didn't... That's the big justification yeah, for this. Yeah, yeah. What he didn't mention was that they died within 30 days of entering hospital. They could come in on a Sunday and die 26 days later on a Friday. Is that because a consultant wasn't there on a Sunday? Could it be other factors, like the patient coming in on a Sunday in order to prepare for a high-risk operation on the Monday? The paper also says that the day on which people died, rather than the day they were admitted, was also important. But more people died on a weekday you know, when all the staff are in, compared to the weekend when Jeremy imagines that they're all skiing or yachting. Sorry, Alex, I, 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 I'm, I physically... Can't, can't take this anymore. No, 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 it's not that. Right. I physically do not believe what you're saying. I do not believe that the toy would manipulate figures for the own political agenda. That just doesn't happen. Well, Rob, just one comment. Irwin says... I'm surprised only generated one comment. <laughs> you know, a comment about seagulls killing some pigeons... That raises That's ire. News. Yeah, that, that raises ire. You know, tra- travellers urinating in the street, they should go to hell. Yeah. But this Tory government, no, no, we're not going to comment on them. Just Irwin just simply says, the health minister is another one, way out of touch. She needs to go. Now, Irwin, Jeremy Hunt... <laughs> oh, God. Jeremy Hunt is a lot of things, um, but one thing he, he definitely isn't is a woman. Uh, so, so this... this <laughs> I mean, this does that not just sum up... The, 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 oh god the electorate in this country so this guy's went through that entire article and thought this health minister Jeremy yeah god she's really got the wrong idea <laughs> <laughs> Okay, it is now time for our listener's story of the week and anybody wondering where Rob and I are right now well I mean I know we're technically woodland murder detectives but we, we thought we'd want to branch out and we're now down by the uh, by the ocean Rob because we are investigating what the fuck is going on with uh, the seagulls killing pigeons I've got my binoculars I've got some twiglets did you bring anything to eat? Twiglets? I, I thought it was your penis um, That's not needed Rob I'm oh, sorry <laughs> um, Well I've got this bag of Haribo but I'm not really willing to share it well, I don't want your fucking Haribo I've got it's my twiglets It's yeah. my favourites Okay, that's fine. I've got some jelly beans, but they've been in my pocket a while. No, no, I've got my twiglets. Right, okay. Um, and you can't have any. But, but it's, it's nice to be... We're here in Bristol. It's very nice to be down on the... On the not the seaside, but obviously on the quay, trying to look for these uh, lich, you know, murderous seagulls. But um, I thought that... Uh, before... Sorry, Rob, I know my geography's bad. Bristol is... Where again? Now, why do I imagine Bristol? Yeah, Bristol... Southwest. It's on, it's on the Seven Channel. Is it, to, to, is it near Wales? That's yeah, what I've got you, the south tip of Wales. If yeah, you, no, it's it's in Somerset. Um, right. So how is there water here where we are? Right. Then? You said it's not so, the seaside, but there's a key. You know where the River Severn is, right? Roughly, it goes underneath right. River Wales. River Severn separates well, separates Wales uh, Britain and, from Wales. Yeah, it, not yeah. Britain from Wales. Wales is part of Britain, Rob. Oh, England. sorry, England from Wales. Okay. Well, that was a very we're very we're very sorry to our Welsh listeners. Rob has just managed to annex you off. Well, that's going to happen at one stage. Like, like Scotland, they're going to and we'll just be stuck with the Tories the forever, sea. Rob. <laughs> oh, God. God. Seriously, if that happens, I'm, I will, I'm, 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 I'll, I'll move to Wales happily. I will, I will literally try and claim Scottish independence myself. Well, I've uh, got Scottish blood in me, so does that mean I could 
can anybody move to Scotland? I guess you and I can move to Scotland. Because of course we, we could, because we're British citizens. I like to think we can try and claim refuge in Scotland. <laughs> yeah, refugees. Because yeah. <laughs> that's where, I know, that's the only thing I can agree with. Um, anyway, look, we're in Bristol. We're down by the quay. Seagulls overhead. But before we start our investigation, I thought we'd read a story. Right. This is from Shay. This has been in the bank a while, to be honest. Uh, it's for the Bristol Post. It's not in a Greek bank, is it? Because if it is, we've got no hope of getting it out. No, good point. No, I don't think it is. Um, headline. Mould in tin of sweet corn brought at Bristol supermarket leaves bitter taste for shopping. <laughs> Mould in tin of sweet corn? Yeah. I mean, Hang on. Mould in tin of sweet corn bought at... Uh, Bristol supermarket. Mould in tin of sweet corn bought at Bristol supermarket. It sounds like a reasonably good episode title. I'm not I'll sure. think about that. A shopper who was left feeling disgusted when she was confronted with green mould after opening a can of sweet corn from a Bristol supermarket. Confronted with green mould after opening a can of sweet corn. That's good. Yeah, that's good. I like the being confronted. <laughs> the woman was repulsed when she opened the tin from uh, the Morrison's Savers range to find the vegetables inside. Oh, hang on a You didn't say that. It's the Savers range. Did you no say problem. that it was justified? Yeah, that's it? part of it. If you're poor... And you're going to be going for those range. You you expect a bit of mould. Yeah, just a bit of mould. You just scrape it off. It's not going to hurt. It's just penicillin. No, I mean, to all they know, that's probably a delicacy. <laughs> yeah. Um, a thick layer of green and white mould was covering oh. the contents of the can, which a spokesman for the Chew Park saying said it was likely been damaged before the purchase was made. Well, obviously. The shopper who was asked to remain anonymous. Again, why? Why are they remain anonymous? <laughs> they Is fear it? for their life, Rob. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> brought the item from the supermarket uh, the supermarket giant's branch in Hartcliffe she said she was disappointed by the response from the staff at the store when she returned the, the 326 gram can again why, why does that matter <laughs> doesn't matter how much the can well it is Rob because when I'm I'm going to be I was thinking we could pop along to that little supermarket but I will avoid the 600 what was it 600, 626 326 gram the 326 gram can and I'm going to go with the 574 gram can I think. good point good point which was marked with the, the use-by date of uh, 2017 on Thursday. Employees apologised by handing the woman a replacement can of sweet corn and a fine <laughs> There <pack>. you go. <laughs> Do you they open it in advance and say, look, this one isn't mouldy anymore? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like the idea that they just took the, uh, they took the can and just scraped it off and handed it back to her. I just think they handed another can with just sorry scrawled on the top in bar. <laughs> What do you expect for when you buy the Morrison's cheat saver range, you cheat your tight bitch? <laughs> there you are, you pauper. <laughs> um... Yeah, employees apologise for hand the woman. Uh, sorry, employees apologise by hand the woman a replacement can of sweet corn and a five pound voucher. But the long oh, customers said the offer was not acceptable. No, no, it's not acceptable. After making the discovery, she wrote an email. What does she want then? Well, obviously more. After making the discovery, she wrote an email to the Bristol Post. This evening, I opened a tin of sweet corn from Morrison's. The scone is a tin of mould. <laughs> no sweet, sweet corn to be seen. Oh, and do you want to? See, do you want to see a picture? Uh, go on then. I haven't had dinner yet, but uh, I I'm mean, just about to tuck into my twiglets. I think there probably is sweet corn in there somewhere. <laughs> oh, God! <laughs> For anybody who wants to know, it, it, it very much does look like a saver's tin. Yeah, I mean, but it's, it, uh... it, it, it looks like a can of paint from where I'm looking, but it, uh, it inside is what look. it almost looks like they're more like pea-shaped. Peas covered in white and green mould. If anyone's looks... ever eaten wasabi peas, they look a lot like that. It looks like, um, it looks like if you left a, a, um, a tub of yoghurt in the fridge for six months yeah. and you opened it, that's what it would look like. Yeah. I went back to the store an hour later and was offered a tin of sweet corn and a £5 uh, voucher. 
I refused this offer as it wasn't acceptable and went straight to the papers. <laughs> yeah. I have no apology from any member of staff. The store manager didn't even come down and see me. What a bastard. Is that her quote? Yeah. She, she said, what a bastard. That's <laughs> <in the paper. laughs> she didn't say that, no. But she said that the store manager didn't, didn't come down and see me. I was just uh, shocked. I was like, good. I, I, I had respect, respect for her. Respect for you. <laughs> Get that bastard, the store manager, down here. <laughs> The assistant manager, Lady came. Who, uh, sorry, the assistant manager, who, Lady, who came to see me was obviously a junior level. Oh, so, sorry, I, I misread that quote. Uh, the assistant manager, Lady, came to see me. Said there was obviously a hole or something in it. I thought she said the, the assistant manager, Lady, was obviously a hole. <laughs> no. um, but I opened it with a tin opener and, set, and shut the tin before I opened it. Not sure why that's relevant. Um, a spokesman for Morrison's in Hartcliffe's store in Petersham, she said. The product appears to, to have become mouldy as a result of damage to the can. We will investigate with our supplier. Again, um, they have to get their investigation bureau onto this, Rob, because you know we've realised, because we've covered a lot of these stories, they seem to have some internal investigations unit, which presumably consists of one man in a shabby brown jacket who's been not been quite down on his luck for a number of years. Alex, this is, he's basically the equivalent of what we do investigating animal murders. Rob, stop bringing us down, Rob. This is we haven't nice... sold a single one yet. Yeah, but Rob, we're going to get on top of this uh, this this pigeon ho- homicidal serial killer. We whatever. haven't found it. We've been here. We've been here two days. Well, there, are hundreds, have... there are hundreds of them. Yeah, no, no, we've, they've attacked everything. But I mean, I've been attacked several times. Yeah, I know. My packet of twiglets has gone already. Yeah, I just love the idea, Rob, that she is. This is probably one of these very pedantic stories, Rob. She's yeah. very pedantic. Where it would have literally been the difference. It's it's so incredibly petty. That had they offered her £10 in vouchers and two cans of sweet corn, she would have said, all right then. Yeah. Uh, Ron Young says, the Morsel website lists the product at 80p. Uh, the refused compensation was worth over eight times the value of the goods. Wouldn't matter being dissatisfied with the moon on the stick instead? It's not exactly like she ate the mould. No, he was exactly, yeah. She opened the tin. It's not like she was tucking into a delicious sweet corn and realised that maybe it wasn't the, de- the delicious yellow colour she expected. <laughs> um, RK59 says... This is the litigious, greedy society we live in. Nobody could have predicted the can contained uh, damaged goods and the shop did everything right and proper to compensate. What a greedy woman. How about the litigious and greedy society we live in as an episode title? Because it seems fitting with all our criticism of the current climate at the moment, Rob. Actually, that's, that's very true. Well, Rob, as we stand here with the winds from the River Severn, is that right? Am I right? Coming, washing... <laughs> Washing, do, Alex. washing over do. us um, it's time to say goodbye Rob to this episode uh, which is episode 147 it is time to wave goodbye Rob as we look forward with a meagre of eager anticipation yet trepidation to our next episode so say goodbye Rob bye Rob bye where's he got that boat from I haven't got a boat Rob I think you're drifting down the river you're imagining things again, Rob. Well, take care. I hope you. I mean, there's a waterfall down there, by the way. You just need to be careful. I stole your jelly babies, you fat cunt. <laughs> That's alright. They've been in there a year. They were green and mouldy. I'm glad you took them. I hope you die. The seagulls appear to have stopped suddenly. Does that mean we solved the murders? <laughs> I'm not sure, Rob. Maybe the the pictures retaliated. <laughs> <laughs> Quite possibly. Anyway, Rob. Uh, Yes, so we look forward with a meagre of anticipation yet trepidation to our next episode, which will be at episode 148, as we move ever more forward, Rob, like, like, I'm struggling every week with this now, Rob, like, hang on, like, uh, like, like two people, Rob, going to a wake of a loved one, uh, and 
allowing ourselves to descend into mindless thuggery, hooliganism, vandalism, and... Other types of isms. Other types of isms, including urinating and defecating on people's lawns. Just like that, Rob and I move ever more forward to our next big milestone, Rob, which is coming up, which will be be 150th fucking episode. Are we celebrating? I think we are celebrating, aren't we? No, did we say we'd celebrate? I think we did. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, it might be might might, might be worth celebrating because okay. over the summer sounds like a, a time for a celebration. Rob, I need to let everybody know that we can be found on our website, which is lapodcast.net. We are on Twitter at, at lapodcast. We are on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash lapodcast, and we're also on Tumblr at tumblr.com forward slash lapodcast for people who like Tumblr. And of course, we're on Instagram. If you go to Instagram and you search for lapodcast, you can find pictures of those business cards, and you can guess where have they been taken. That's it, Rob. We've got to go because we have run way over time. God bless. And keep it local.